0: Good morning, everybody. So we're going to keep going through Second Kings chapter. We're in, we're going to do chapter seventeen this morning. And uh, it's not a light chapter. It's a little bit heavy, a little bit intense. So let's just take a look at it. Let's dive right in. Verse one of Second Kings chapter seventeen. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Eli, began to reign in Samaria over Israel. Remember, Samaria is the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, and Jerusalem is the capital city of the southern kingdom of Judah. And he reigned nine years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, And Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. So he's trying to shift alliances from Assyria to Egypt. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him up in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and on the Habor, the river of Gozon, and in the cities of the Medes. And this occurred... Now... What the author is saying is, you watch the newscast, you think, oh, it occurred because of a military reason or a political reason or a social reason. But it said, and this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the king of kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and asherim, that's those goddesses, kind of a fertility cult, very sexualized, On every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places, as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn away from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. So the more the Lord spoke, it said, but they were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes. And his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them, they went after false idols and became false. You really do become like what you worship, by the way. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. Israel already saw God judge the Canaanite nations, right? Right? That was in their history. They were a part of that. Now they are a recipient of that. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves. And they made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens "...and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel." And afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. And when he had torn Israel from the house of David, this is going back now to the original division between the two kingdoms. They made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king and Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. And the people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day, until the author wrote this historical piece. So what's going on? This is a summary of the conquest and exile of Israel, the northern kingdom those northern ten tribes. Jeroboam in 931 B.C. became the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and he led that nation into intense idolatry, intense immorality. And then after Jeroboam, when you read the book of 1 and Second Kings, you have 19 more kings that follow him, leading the northern kingdom of Israel. So 20 total. And and, and king after king led Israel into this increasing wickedness. It lasted for 210 years. And then we get to 722 BC and the Assyrian Empire rushes in, conquers Israel, exiles the people of Israel, replaces the population with other non-Jewish peoples, But this conquest and exile, you read in a history secular description, you've got political reasons, you have military reasons, you have economic reasons, you have social reasons. But none of those are the cause. It is a moral reason, it is a theological reason. It was the judgment of God. It wasn't because Israel wasn't good at fighting Assyrians. It was because Israel was fighting God. For over two centuries. And Moses prophesied and said, This will happen to you if you refuse to obey the Lord. If you go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, verse 49. If you keep disobeying God and don't listen to him, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle. Verse 64, and the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. But here's what happens in 2 Kings chapter 17. If you, We read through it once, but it, you'll notice something. It doesn't just say that Israel disobeyed. It says how they disobeyed. It lists what they did that provoked God to anger. It lists specific sins. But if you'll notice, there was a final sin that was the last straw. And the final sin was child sacrifice was the killing of their own children. It is that sin that was the tipping point. After 210 years, God said, Enough! I will not let a people that kills their own children continue. So you look in Second Kings 17, and they burn their sons and daughters as offerings, and used divination and omens, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel, and removed them out of his sight, and none was left but the tribe of Judah. You you see that final tipping point? When you look in scripture and then look outside of scripture, look at the history of every empire, whether you want to look at the Aztecs or the Mayans, whether you want to look at um, the Phoenicians, other groups, it is when you have widespread, wide scale shedding of innocent blood that it always results in divine judgment, not just on an individual scale, but on a national scale. And it leads to the collapse of civilizations. Every single time. And you're gonna find that this is true from Genesis all the way to Revelation in scriptural history. Let's look at a couple of examples of this. But we got to start at the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and they were in, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? God doesn't ask questions because he needs the information. God's asked questions to give us a chance to answer. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice, look at this, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. This is the first murder that was ever committed, the first shedding of innocent blood. And about it, the Lord has this unusual phrase, the voice of your brother's blood is crying. And that crying, that Hebrew word sa'ak, to me from the ground. What does that mean? When the innocent are killed, it evokes something. One of God's attributes is justice, and it moves the justice of God, it cries out for judgment. And if you fought, what happens after this is God severely punishes Cain, where Cain says, wait a minute, the punishment, that's actually worse than death for me. The next time this Hebrew word, the next time it's used in Genesis, sa'ak, crying, it's used in the story to give context for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys know this story. Their wickedness was so great, God said, enough. Genesis 18.20, then the Lord said, because of the outcry, sa'ak, the same word that God used for Abel's blood, against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. And then the, he, the, the word is used again in the next chapter, Genesis 19.13, for we are about, this is the angels speaking, the two angels, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry, sa'ach against its people, has become great before the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. That's the very first time we have the shedding of innocent blood with Cain and Abel. But then you move on to Genesis 6, where God doesn't just end a nation, he ends the human race, for the most part. Why? Genesis 6, 11 to 13, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Well, how? The earth was what? Was what? Filled with what? Violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their wear on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. Why? For the earth, is. he says it again, is what? filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, except for Noah and his relatives, God wipes out the human race because of their what? Violence. Their violence. What was the violence? It was the shedding of innocent blood. Murder. How do we know that? Because after the flood is over, God and Noah have a conversation about the shedding of innocent blood. God speaks to Noah and says, going forward, we must have capital punishment as part of the law with the human race. We must. So God puts into place for murderers. This coercive measure, why? To try to stop and limit the amount of murder that's happening in the land. Lest God is provoked to anger again and another massive judgment comes. This is what God and Noah talked about. Genesis chapter 9 verse 5 to 6. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. What is God? He's getting to the root of why the flood came in the first place, the shedding of innocent blood. And God says, Noah, one way that we can limit this is through capital punishment. Every murderer needs to know if they're going to murder somebody, they need to lose their life. It's to limit it. Let's move on. In the law of Moses, as they were looking at entering the promised land, the land of Canaan, God gives Israel instructions. How do you keep the land that I'm giving you? how do you become, how do you stay as a nation that i'm forming you much of the law is how do you stay around numbers 35 33 to 30 or verse 30 to 34 if anyone kills a person the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of the witnesses capital punishments really important i don't care what anybody says in the media Socially, expert, I don't care. Nobody understands the importance of the shedding of innocent blood like God. He's the one that made human beings in his image. Verse 33, you shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land. And no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord your God, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. So the law of Moses, you would be shocked how much of the law of Moses, the teachings of Moses, was about murder. And what it says in this passage is that murder, the shedding of innocent blood, it pollutes the land, it defiles the land. You might say, what does that mean? That clearly it is not talking about physical pollution. The Israelites throwing their trash on the side of the road. It is a spiritual pollution, a spiritual defilement. But what does that mean? And I don't have time to show you the verses or the examples in history. But the shedding of innocent blood, it, it opens up a gateway to the demonic realm. It leads to the demonization of a whole people. The shedding of innocent blood on a wide scale. And ultimately, that demonization, that demonic, it, it starts to affect every aspect including even the environment. I was in uh, Culiacan, Mexico. We were with a prayer team um, because of the drug cartels and the violence happening in Mexico and we, we joined a bunch of pastors. And, one, and we were praying in different parts of the city and at one point when we were with a bunch of uh, Mexican pastors and I was, at this time, I was with I International House of Prayer, and we had a YWAM team and an IHOP team. And the pastor said, Sam, the region we're going to go to, I want you to notice something. Now, this was, the Culiacan is a breadbasket. It, 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 it imports the amount of, of fruits and vegetables and grains it exports is unbelievable. It's this rich valley in central Mexico. It's the capital of the Sinaloa province. And when we were driving, all of a sudden, he said, you notice something? I, I said, what? He said, look around. The It was barren. It was like a desert. F- Ten minutes earlier, it was like a jungle. And I noticed particular hills, there was no vegetation at all. He said, you notice that? A pastor in Mexico asked me, you notice that? I said, Wow. What's going on? He says, you see that building up on top of that hill? I said, yeah. He says, they do child sacrifice up there, witchcraft. It literally affected the vegetation. It affected the land. The greatest pollution problem in a nation is not a green problem. It is not from carbon emissions. It is a red problem from the shedding of innocent blood. What else? Let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus. Luke eleven fifty 50 to 51. Jesus. There's so much teaching where they're trying to disconnect Jesus from the Old Testament. God in the flesh was Yahweh. He's the same God from Genesis to Revelation. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. When you look in Luke 11 and Matthew 23, what Jesus is prophesying is the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. It happened in 70 AD. It happened 40 years after this prophecy. And Jesus gives the reason. And the reason Jesus gives is the shedding of innocent blood. Israel was engaged in it, including killing Jesus himself. The shedding of innocent you know, of blood. How about all the way to the book of Revelation at the end times? Revelation 16, 4 to 6. And the third angel poured out his bowl. Now, what's going on in the book of Revelation? You guys know the plagues of Exodus? Well, instead of those plagues happening in one country like Egypt, they're happening on the whole planet. Remember Pharaoh? Instead of one Pharaoh who's ruling Egypt, you have a Pharaoh, Antichrist figure, that's running the whole planet. Remember the two witnesses? Before Pharaoh, who were they? Moses and Aaron. You have another two witnesses in Revelation 11. Every detail of the Exodus event was a preview of what happens on a global scale in Revelation. The interpretive key for Revelation is the Exodus event. And remember the changing of Remember the water to blood? Why why was water turned to blood in Egypt? When Moses was coming onto the scene, what was Pharaoh doing? Killing who? Babies. Shedding innocent blood on a massive scale. When Jesus was coming on the scene, what was Herod doing? Killing babies. Revelation 16:4 to 6 the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood now they're going to tell you why the plague of why the plague why and i heard an angel in charge of the waters say just remember justice are you a holy one who is and who was for you brought these judgments why for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Self explanatory, right? Revelation 18, verse 21. So, Babylon, the great city, it, this is now a, a world empire, and this city's running that world empire. And boy, it's the most wicked ever in all of human history the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Verse 24, why? And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who have been slain on earth, the shedding of innocent blood. Revelation 19:1 and 2, and after this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, crying out, hallelujah, Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, this last day's world empire, and has avenged on her what? The blood of her servants, of his servants. The book of Revelation prophesies this judgment and this collapse of this final world empire. But what's the reason? Look at the passage. It is the shedding of innocent blood becomes the final tipping point. Let's go outside of Scripture and just look at, I'm going to give you one example from world history. I could do it for the next 10 hours. Abraham Lincoln, second inaugural address. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continue, what's the it? The what? The civil war. If God wills that it continue, until all the wealth piled up by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and listen carefully. And every drop of blood drawn with the lash, what blood is he talking about? The blood of the slaves, the shedding of innocent blood. Until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said quote, "The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether." Abraham Lincoln inter- how did he interpret the Civil War? His understanding was that the constant wide-scale shedding of innocent blood tips the scales. It pushes a civilization into divine judgment. And that's not just in Scripture. That's throughout world history. Abraham Lincoln understand that the Civil War was first and foremost God's judgment on America. Why? The shedding of the innocent blood of countless slaves. The second inaugural address is engraved on the north interior wall of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. You can read it to this day. And pastors are tripping over themselves by the thousands To remove God's justice and remove his judgments out of their theology, out of their teaching. Let's look at 2 Kings 17 again, verse 17 to 18. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Now, we're going to zero in more specifically now. It doesn't just say that murder led to the downfall of Israel. It gets much more specific. It says the murder of children. As they, it was babies. As they were sacrificed on the altars of Israel's gods the same gods that they inherited from the Canaanites. Who is more innocent than a baby? More innocent than an infant? More innocent than young children among us? I'm not denying original sin. When I use innocent, I'm talking about societally. I'm talking about lifestyle-wise. I'm talking about the way you live, think, and act. Who's more innocent than a baby? Do you understand how serious the issue of child sacrifice is to God? You know the psalmist wrote a worship song about child sacrifice? Our worship songs, worship leading I'm talking about the whole church, is so disconnected from scriptural worship. It is a massive, I'm not, I love worship. I love our songs. I love engaging with the Lord. But the blueprint is the Psalms, not 21st century megachurch worship leaders. What the heck did they sing in their worship services and why? Look at the psalms. They wrote a song about child sacrifice to remind the so that the congregation would sing it, to remind them what God thinks about it. Psalm 106 verse 36 to 41. This was a congregational worship song. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hands of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Imagine a church right now in America. It would be inconceivable for a congregation to sing that song, right? Yes or no? That is how far we are away. from the heart of God. Why wasn't it inconceivable to this psalmist? Why wasn't it inconceivable to the congregation of Israel and to the Levites to sing this song? The northern kingdom of Israel was conquered and exiled by the Assyrians. We read about that in 2nd Kings 17. Later on, the southern kingdom of Judah, which we'll read later in 2 Kings, is conquered and exiled by the Babylonians. Because of God's promise to David, they got a little bit more time. And there were a few good guys in that group, Hezekiah and others. Josiah helped, you know. So Ezekiel, the prophet, is prophesying to Judah, and he says, your end has now come. And Ezekiel says the tipping point is the shedding of innocent blood in Judah. And Ezekiel says specifically it's child sacrifice. Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 9. Then he said to me, the guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of blood and the city full of injustice. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 36, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, because you poured out your lust and exposed your naked body in your promiscuity with your lovers and because of all your detestable idols and, here it is, because you gave them your what? Children's blood. Ezekiel 22 4, you have become guilty by the blood that you have shed and defiled by the idols that you have made. And you have, brought, you have brought your days near. The appointed time of your years has come. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all the countries. Now, we're going to look at abortion and child sacrifice. scripturally and scientifically, it is an overwhelming case that unborn babies are human beings. Scripturally, it's not debatable. When John the Baptist was in the womb of his mom, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. They are human beings, they are not pieces of tissue to be discarded. Scientifically, especially with the uh, the genetic science that we have now, the understanding of what's going on, it's shocking in the womb we need to understand it now, right? To intentionally, Kill, intentionally kill an unborn baby is to murder a real person. And if people don't agree with that, talk to God about that. Abortion is the shedding of innocent blood. Tens of millions of babies have been aborted in the United States. Hundreds of millions have been aborted in China and Russia and almost every single country on the planet. Mexico legalized abortion this last week. It's a holocaust happening in our own backyard. It's just more clean. We don't see trains and smoke from gas chambers. It's just more sanitized. It's the most sanitized holocaust in the history of humanity. It's modern day child sacrifice. Now, people in America or in Russia or in China or India or all the other places where they're committing abortion by tens of millions, you know, they're not by name worshipping Baal, Asherah, and Moloch. They're not participating in the ancient Canaanite religions. Just ask yourself, in America, what religion then are they engaged in? What gods are they worshiping? And it's not a new issue. In the first and second centuries, abortion was a major issue in the Roman Empire. The early church from the first century wrote about it and spoke against it intensely. I have pages of quotes from first and second century church fathers who in detail were speaking out against abortion. I'm just going to give you just, and when I'm I'm talking about the, the, the early church writings, I'm talking about that second generation. The original apostles discipled their disciples, and all those guys wrote stuff. And then the disciples of the original apostles discipled their people, and they wrote stuff. Epistle of Barnabas, first century document. Chapter 19, verse 10, quote, You shall not kill the child by obtaining an abortion, nor again shall you destroy him after he is born. The Didache, one of the earliest, probably, it was probably written in around 80 AD, one of the earliest church documents we have that is following scripture. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. You shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill one who has been born. Athenagoras wrote a, 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 a book called A Plea for Christians. And it was a second century document. Quote, we say that those women who used drugs to bring on abortion, commit murder. And yes, there were chemical, there were ways of, of, of killing your baby that they had found. Tertullian from the second century, and I'm not going to show them to you because they're too graphic. He's writing to the church, and he gives all the different ways they were committing abortions, including tools that the way, tools that were used. And the reason they wrote this is they said Christians don't do this. Because this leads to the end of civilization. We say that women who use drugs to bring on abortion commit murder. And we also say that they will have to give an account to God for the abortion. So, on what basis could we commit murder? For it does not belong to the same person to regard the very fetus in the womb as a created being and therefore an object of God's care yet when he has passed into life to kill him. We also teach that it is wrong to expose an infant for those who expose them are guilty of child murder. Exposing was a practice where after the baby was born, they would put the baby on the side of the road and leave it so that usually the baby would die from exposure. If it didn't die from exposure, then what happened was it was kidnapped, raised either as a slave or as a prostitute. And and the early church, the exposing infants, they wrote about it so much. Tertullian, in his book Apology, and apology doesn't mean to say I'm sorry, it's apologia, it's a defense of the faith. In section 9 verse 8, in our case, murder is once for all forbidden. Therefore, we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb. While as yet the human being derives blood from other parts of the body for its sustenance, to hinder a birth is merely a speedier way to kill a human. It does not matter whether you take away a life that has been born or destroy one that is not yet born. What's our response? Abortion, listen to me, this is not just a social issue. It is not a legal issue or a political issue. It is a moral issue and a theological issue. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Proverbs 6, 16 to 17, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And then there's other things on the list as well. How do we respond to the issue of abortion? Firstly, you got it, we need to pray. The government of heaven the prayer room is the governmental center place for us participating in God's throne room and in his decrees. We got to pray for the ending of abortion. We have to pray for the deliverance and salvation of the doctors, the Planned Parenthood clinicians, the mothers, the fathers who are caught up in this Holocaust. Secondly, so I would, there are a few things I always include when I pray. I pray for the unborn. I pray for the Jews and God's purposes for Israel. I pray for our church. You know what I'm saying? We have to learn to pray the things that are on God's heart. That's according to his word. Secondarily, we should support and fund organizations that per, that are that stand for the protecting of the unborn, crisis pregnancy centers, a ad- Christian adoption agencies, pro life advocacy organizations. There's a group, um, Lila Rose Live Action. I swear, I think that she is probably. Uh, She's like an Esther in our generation. She's like a true prophetess. But their role is change, is, is mind shift, is, is through media, trying to shift the culture of young people on the issue. Thirdly, don't ever vote for any leader of any political party who supports, protects, or promotes abortion. I'm serious. We are held accountable to God over issues like this. Don't ever vote for any leader of any political party who protects, supports, or promotes abortion. Why? I just showed you why for the past 20-30 minutes or however long I've been talking there are certain lines you don't cross this is one of those lines this is not a political thing you the moment you vote for a leader that is going to help kill more babies, you step into territory. You do not want to step into that territory. You have no idea how serious this is to God. And I'm not intense about this. You should talk to God about this. We need to understand the severity and seriousness of abortion. When you take sin and you compare it to God's perfect nature and character, all sin is equally against Him. All sin is deserving of death and separation from Him. But when you compare sins to each other, some sins absolutely are worse than other sins. The effects of some sins are absolutely worse than the effects of other sins And judgment for some sins is much more severe than for others. There are so many verses about this. I'm just going to give you just a couple. Ezekiel 8, 13, he said also to me, you will still see greater abominations that they commit. So some of God, according to God, some abominations were actually worse than others. John 19, 11, therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Well, Jesus is saying obviously some sins are greater than others. Matthew 11, 22 and 24, but I tell you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Verse 24, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Some judgment is worse. Than others. And I hope you already saw this. It is the clear, undeniable testimony of Scripture that the shedding of innocent blood is a much, much, much more severe sin than others. And then when you start talking about the murder of babies, innocent children, that is even on a different scale. Lastly, how should the church respond? Now we're going to finish with Jesus' shed blood. Jesus said, the sin that is worth, that leads to judgment, that leads to death, that leads to separation, as a substitute on the cross, I'm going to bear it in your place. I'm going to take the guilt that you deserve on myself and give you the innocence that you don't deserve. The righteousness. There is forgiveness for any sin through the blood of Jesus. Right? Was Moses a murderer? Yes, he murdered an Egyptian. How about King David? Who did he kill? To get the guy's wife. Was Paul a murderer? Yeah. His job description was either throw them in prison or kill them because they're Christians. They experience God's complete forgiveness, salvation, and deliverance. So the the one answer to this issue is to spread the news of Jesus' salvation. There is no future... There is no hope for an individual or for a nation apart from receiving Jesus' free gift of forgiveness. I'm going to finish with this one verse. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that's his shed blood on the cross, that speaks. Now listen to this. A better word than the what? What? What was the blood of Abel crying out for? Judgment because of the shedding of innocent blood. Back in 2007, there was a gathering in Nashville, Tennessee called The Call. And it happened on 7707. And I went to it. And in, in biggest stadium in Nashville, I forgot the name of the stadium. And it was a packed stadium for 12 hours of prayer and fasting. And during that gathering, Lou Engel led it, and we did, and there, there was something called, bound, uh, an organization called Bound for Life. And they did something called Life Sieges, where they would stand in front of the Supreme Court or in front of a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic And they would do silent prayer, put red tape over their bowels with the word life and pray silently for salvation for the mothers, the doctors, the nurses, deliverance for the unborn babies, and for the ending of abortion, the stopping of Planned Parenthood in the abortion industry. Why pray silently? Because you identify with those you pray with, and when a baby is burned chemically in the womb or dismembered surgically in the womb, nobody hears the baby's cry. Nobody. By the way, the nervous system exists in that baby. But So we would pray silently to identify with the unborn on their behalf. And during this, during this, the whole stadium, they passed out called life tape, the red tape with the word life. We all put it on our mouths, and there was no music. Nobody was, it was silent. And I had never done this before. And I am not a super emotional person. I start weeping. And I kept weeping and weeping. Something overwhelmed my heart over God's concern and love for the unborn and for the mothers. After that event, I was in the, the airport in Nashville. I, need, I was going to fly back to Las Vegas and then to California. And in the airport, they had passed out what are called life bands, these red bands everyone was wearing. And it was just a commitment to to pray for the ending of abortion and to pray for a spiritual awakening, a revival in America. And I saw people all over the airport wearing the red bands. And so I walked up and talked to a a few young people. And this young girl, she looked like she was 16 or something. She said, the weirdest thing happened to me. She says, I'm not from a charismatic church. I've never even thought about speaking in tongues. It was something I'd literally never considered. And during the silent prayer in the stadium, the Holy Spirit fell on me, and w- even with the, my mouth covered with the tape, I started speaking in tongues. I didn't even ask for it. And that caught my attention. When I, when I landed in Vegas... Uh, I called Brooke. I hadn't talked with her since at the end of this event. I called her, and I, I, we started talking about what happened at the stadium event. And, and it was being broadcast on godtv.com. But she said the connection wasn't working. And she said it went for 12 hours, and she was trying to connect all day. It wouldn't connect. But for one hour, she got the connection and watched it. And during that one hour, it was when Lou shared about God's heart to end abortion. God had given Lou Engel a bunch of prophecies and confirmations related to that Dr. Seuss book, Horton Here's a Who. A person's a person no matter how small. And Lou shared that, read verses, verses, read text from that book. And then they did the silent prayer, and Brooke said it was on her computer, and when they did the silent prayer, the Holy Spirit touched her, and she started weeping and sobbing. And she was on the floor, sobbing uncontrollably, and Kayla, who was just a tiny little girl at the time, actually ran into the room saying, Mommy, what's wrong? Mommy, what's wrong? I knew that God was gripping us, speaking to us, praying through us. So Brooke and I had talked, and we felt like in Orange County, we needed to start a chapter of this organization, Bound for Life. Now, to run a chapter, what you do is you do a a silent siege in front of a Planned Parenthood clinic once a month, and then you do what's called a prayer rumble at a church once a month. And I thought, well, if we're going to do this, um, you know, we were going to the Anaheim Vineyard, and I thought, I need to ask if we can use the church for the prayer rumble. And I thought for sure the pastors were going to say no. At that time, at least for 20 years, the Anaheim Vineyard, almost anything remotely political, they stayed away from it. Wanted, I mean, nothing to do with it. Now, I don't see this as a political issue at all. But the world does. So I thought when I was going to ask the pastors, they were going to say no. And I, it was actually, I remember, it was, uh, it, was, it was in a couple of days that I was going to meet with them. And I had scheduled a meeting with Craig Lockwood, who was one of the pastors on staff. Two days before that, though, the church, the, the I. Vineyard was having a conference, and I spoke at a workshop at the conference. My friend Tony led worship, and then I spoke at the conference, at this workshop. I spoke on Psalm 45, and my topic was the second coming of Jesus. During that workshop, I never even hinted anything about pro-life, abortion, prayer, nothing. It was literally about Psalm 45 as a prophecy about the second coming of Jesus. And what does that mean? And I remember we finished the workshop. There were about 50 people there. It was a fun workshop. Um, Just something a little bit different at the church. There wasn't a whole lot of talk about the second coming or eschatology. And at the Brooke and I were in the room as it was cleaning up and Tony was there, the worship leader. And all of a sudden, this lady walks back into the room. That was part of the workshop. And she goes, can I talk to you for a second? The Holy Spirit told me to come talk to you. I didn't know who she was. She said, I don't go to this church. She went to a church down the street, Cornerstone. She said, the Holy Spirit told me to come back and tell you that my friend and I stand in front of a Planned Parenthood abortion clinic and pray for the ending of abortion. I never mentioned that in any way, shape, or form. We hadn't talked to the pe- Craig Lockwood yet. We hadn't talked to anybody at the church about our plans. Nobody. And I looked at her and I said, really? She goes, yeah, I don't know why I'm supposed to tell you this, but the Lord told me to tell you. I said, in two days... I'm going to ask one of the pastors here to start a Bound for Life chapter where we're going to pray in front of an abortion clinic silently and then we're going to have a corporate prayer meeting at the church and we're going to do this once a month. She says, if you do that, me and my friend will be the first two to join you. To me, it was a confirmation. So I asked Craig a couple days later. He loved the idea. So we did it. For nine months, At the Planned Parenthood Clinic in downtown Orange, we stood a line of us with red tape on our mouths and prayed silently. People would walk up to us and scream at our faces. We're praying silently with tape that says life, and this lady would come and scream in my face, there is no God. Now, why would she say that? I'm not joking. People would honk their horns and and, and yell at us. And and, and it was was unbelievable, the rage. Why? We're not blocking any. We weren't on the sidewalk. We were on a grass far away. Nine months, we did prayer rumbles and life sieges. At the end of the nine months, the Lord said, that's a nine-month assignment, you're done. Two weeks later, the Orange County Board of Supervisors made a unanimous vote that the county would cut off all funding to Planned Parenthood. Because Planned Parenthood was doing all the sex education in the school district and was giving hundreds of thousands of dollars for it two weeks after we finished our nine-month life siege. The Orange County Board voted to cut off all that funding and to tell and to stop Planned Parenthood sex education in the schools. I felt like something in the government was shifted because of those silent prayer times. And then a month or two later, my wife and I were leading a young adult Bible study, and a lady started coming to our Bible study who was a medical assistant at Planned Parenthood, helping ab- abortions. And she joined our Bible study, our home group. And she loved it. And she kept coming. And then her boyfriend came. And then her and her boyfriend, I baptized in Laguna Beach. Then they decided to get married. And I did their wedding at the Anaheim Vineyard. Her only friends were the staff members of the Plant Parenthood clinic that she worked with. So I'm at the Anaheim Vineyard in the Wedding Chapel doing a wedding, and half of the group there were all staff members at Plant Parenthood in our church. I literally switched, and I made the wedding message into a gospel proclamation. And I tried to make it as clear as I could about Salvation and forgiveness through Jesus. At the end, the head of the clinic, the head, literally, the, the top supervisor, manager of that clinic, walked up to me, introduced herself, and said, asked me about my my wedding message. And she said, something happened to me. It's never happened in my whole life. I said, What is it? She said, While well, you were talking, she said, I felt heat. All over my heart, and it kept getting hotter and hotter. She says it was the most wonderful sensation I've ever had in my life. How do you explain that? And I explained to her that God was touching her in that moment. I don't know how the Lord is going to use us as a congregation in this area, but he's going to, this is going to be a part of who we are. How that happens, I don't know. But it's going to happen. We're already with, what's the the house with the single moms? Casa Teresa is a big part of this. And they have another shower coming. This is a big part of it. Some of you need to sign up and join. It's more than just charity work. It's taking a stand in the spirit. But there's even more that we're going to be involved in. In the in the in the days to come, months to come or years to come. Stephanie, do you want to come forward? When we did our life sieges with bound for life, we prayed this prayer. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God end abortion and send revival to America. I have prayed this prayer. I couldn't even tell you how many times. This prayer has been prayed millions of times. Bound for Life at its high point had like 220 life sieges happening at 220 different Planned Parenthood clinics, not including the one at the Supreme Court. This prayer has been bombarding heaven for decades. I think the ending of Roe v. Wade which is just one battle in a greater war, was a result of God answering this prayer. So we're going to take communion, and what I want us to do a little bit differently today is when you grab communion, go ahead and bring it back, and we're going to remember Jesus' blood for our own sins. You are forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done. But then, We're going to plead Jesus' blood over our nation. And we're going to ask for revival. Because right now, the spiritual pollution problem in America is off the charts. Listen to me very carefully. It has surpassed the spiritual pollution problem America dealt with with the shedding of the innocent blood of the slaves. So we gotta pray this prayer. Can we bring that slide back up? Yeah. We gotta pray this prayer. So go ahead and and who's ever gonna serve communion, please come forward.